Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, a wrestling history podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 105 of Shut Up and Wrestle, where we are going back into the archives, into the Brian Solomon archives, for a 2007 interview that I did with the living legend. Bruno Sammartino. This is a very special interview to me. In my years at WWE, this was what I considered one of my crowning achievements. I'll talk a little bit more about it as a setup in just a minute. Before I get to that, a few things I wanted to mention on the show. First and foremost, I want to send out thoughts, prayers, and condolences to the friends and family and fans of Harold Hogue, best known to fans as Ice Train. Anyone who followed WCW in the 1990s, Ice Train was a fixture of the company. He was never the top guy. He was never a top guy, but he was part of the mix. He was an exciting character. He was somebody whose matches I enjoyed watching, and I was really saddened to learn of his passing last week at the age of 56. So once again, we remember the career, the accomplishments, and the legacy of Harold Hogue, a.k.a. Ice Train. Also wanted to look ahead at some articles I'm working on for upcoming issues of Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Inside the Ropes. These are issues that are not available yet. Uh, For example, for the May issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, I've put together a column looking back at the career of Flying Brian Pillman, of course, whose son, wrestling as Lexus King, now competes in NXT. I've also got a column in there looking at the career of Sting leading into his retirement at Revolution in March. And speaking of Sting, in the next issue of Inside the Ropes, I'm going to have a giant six-page retrospective on the career of the man called Sting working on it right now in the midst of it. And I'll let you guys know when those issues are going to be available, when they're coming out. But be on the lookout for future articles in Inside the Ropes and Pro Wrestling Illustrated. While I'm at it, I want to mention where I'm at right now with Irresistible Force, The Life and Times of Gorilla Monsoon. Just a few days ago, I started work on Chapter 5, which is the beginning of the pro wrestling career of the man who would come to be known as Gorilla Monsoon, although in this case, he is still known as Gino Morella. So he transitioned from his amateur wrestling career, his college career, into just how he got involved in the world of pro wrestling and the territories that he worked for and where he sort of started building his career, leading into his arrival 
in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation in the middle of 1963, which will, of course, be Chapter 6. We'll get to that. I'll keep you guys posted as the long process of writing this book moves along. But right now, let's get to the man who was the chief in-ring rival of Gorilla Monsoon in the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Of course, I'm talking about the late, great Bruno Sammartino, the longest reigning world champion in the history of pro wrestling, who I had the privilege to speak to briefly in 2007. I'm going to give you a little background on this before I go into it. And just like I did with the Dusty Rhodes from the Archives interview a while back, I'm going to be breaking this up to try and give a little bit of context and talk about what this interview is all about. So at the time that I did this, it was March 2007, and Bruno Sammartino, as we all know, was still persona non grata in the WWF, or rather in WWE at that time. This was six years before he patched things up and went into the Hall of Fame. So at the time, the reason ostensibly I'd reached out to him was that Arnold Skoland had passed away. Arnold Skoland, his longtime manager, I had been given the assignment to write the obituary for Arnie, who was a beloved person to the company and to the McMahon family. And the way I looked at it, there was no way I could write an article like that without talking to Bruno Sammartino. It was unthinkable to me. Now, this was the position that I found myself in a lot at the company, which was I was always the one kind of defending Bruno and the legacy of Bruno, wanting to write about Bruno, wanting to keep his memory alive in the company. And as you can imagine, I'd usually get a lot of pushback. This time, I was sort of in my I don't give a crap mode working there. I sort of felt like I was on my way out of the company and I was right because I'd be gone about two months later and I could see the writing on the wall. So I sort of was in that mode of just, I'm going to do this and I don't care what anybody says. And so I was able to get his contact information. I think I got it, if I remember right, through Talent Relations, uh, who still had it, but I think they were very cautious and sort of warning me to be careful of what I was doing and you know that they knew I was uh, potentially stirring up a hornet's nest by doing this. But again, as I said, I didn't care. Uh, I got the phone number and I reached out to him and we set up an interview and full well knowing uh, that I was doing something unprecedented because I think he hadn't really gone on the record with the company at this point since leaving in, two, in uh, 1988. And I think I know he had gone to a Pittsburgh television taping in, I want to say, 2003, 2004. And that had been the only contact he'd had with the company. But as far as actually speaking on the record, speaking publicly with somebody from WWE, this was a first. And we set up the interview, and I'll, I'm going to take you to it in a minute. It starts out, as you will hear in this first segment, with him really mainly just talking about Arnold Skoland and his relationship and partnership with Skoland. And uh, eventually he gets on to talking about a whole bunch of other things that I didn't even expect. And the long and short of it is that I did this interview, I was able to get away with it, and nothing serious happened other than the fact that I was uh, dismissed from the company two months later, but it was unrelated to this. But I'm going to take you to this portion of the interview. Before I do, I just want to give you one warning as far as sound quality, of course. This is 17 years ago. The sound quality is still very good and perfectly audible. This was a digitally recorded interview. However, I sort of got stuck in the sense that 
I had to be home with my kids at the time of this interview. I did it from home, and it was just me home alone with my young son waiting for my daughter to get off the school bus in probably about a half hour. And it wasn't the ideal time to be doing this interview, but when Bruno San Martino tells you, this is when I'm available, you say, yes, sir. So at certain points in this interview, you may hear a very low sound in the background, which is my then three-year-old son watching television. Tried to keep that sound to a minimum. It could not be helped. But I am going to take you to this first portion of my interview with Bruno Sammartino right now. Just going to ask you a few questions about about Mr. Skolin, if that's okay. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Oh, thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, first of all, what uh, what what's uh, what was he like? Let's just start that way. What was he like as as a person? Well, when I first broke into the business and I met Arnold, um, I immediately I, I kind of think we immediately became you know not close close friends. Uh, I was the rookie, was the uh, veteran. But I, I think uh, I, I saw him as just a nice guy. I thought he, uh, he uh, was generous in giving some uh, good advice for, for a rookie, as I was. And they even worked out with me uh, a few times. Uh, and uh, I just got the sense that besides my liking him, I thought, he sensed uh, uh, that he was uh, sensed that he was uh, just fine with me too. He thought that I was an all right guy as well. And now fans, you know, uh, of yours and fans from that era, they remember him mainly as your manager and seeing the two of you together all the time. What do you think that he kind of added to to you? What did he bring to the table? Well, uh, Arnie, <laughs> boy, that's a tough question to answer for the simple reason that, as you know, professional wrestling, there is no really manager. Right, but I mean, from like a fan point of view, that's how they knew him. You know what I mean? They knew him that when that he would be by your side, he was right. your you know representative. Yeah, whenever I'd be in the Northeast, right, exactly. Arnold would would uh, be there too, and he'd go up in the ring with me. You know, he'd be like my second. Right, and and uh, people uh, saw. Uh, that he and I, uh, I was the uh, wrestler and Arnie, the, you miss the manager, and uh, the fans always saw it that way, and they, uh, uh, it was uh, good in a way because uh, uh, when, let's say, some my opponent would have a. Albano as the manager, I mean, as the, you know, as his manager that was known to interfere and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the fans felt that by having Arnold in my corner that he sort of could keep an eye, you know, on my back, uh, so to speak. So the fans saw this a favorable thing, and I, and I thought it worked, it worked well. The, the, the reality is that Arnie was getting up there in age, right. and um, he wanted to, he liked to be, uh, he, uh, he wanted me to talk to Vince Sr. about having him as a title road manager, because that way then he would be in all the arenas, you know what I mean, as sure. my second, and I didn't mind that and, at all, because like I said, I liked Arnold. I got to know his family, and I liked uh, his first wife and his two children. Uh, so it, it was a, a, a good relationship. But then Arnie, to be honest with you, enjoyed the fact that there were a lot of Italian 
people who knew me were Jilly Rizzo, if you remember that yeah, name at all. Of course. And because he would be with me, you know, naturally he'd be with me when uh, Jilly would uh, come up to the garden and insist I go over to Jilly's because Frank Sinatra was going to be there or or Dean Martin, the whole clan, you know, that right. whole clan. Sure. And and Arnie used to really, <laughs> he used to really, really love that. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, so, so I, that made our relationship even more because uh, Arnie really looked forward to after a garden show when we would be with these kind of uh, uh, people. You know what I mean? Sure. And uh, and so and then we traveled. Uh, like for example, uh, if we were up in New England, we would travel there together. Uh, sometimes me, him, and Angelo Salold, if you know that name. Yes, sure. And uh, so then we'd have long trips in those days. We'd have to drive from Bangor, Maine, all the way to Washington D.C. because we had live TV. Arnie would drive. We'd go to Washington, rest or whatever, and then drive another 250 miles to get back to New York City because we had Sunnyside Gardens. So we spent a lot of time on the road, uh, Arnold and I, we uh, together, and we drove, you know, because we were in the car, you drove a lot in those days. Of course. And, uh, and I can say to you that uh, there were never bad words between us. There was never any strain in our relationship or friendship. Uh, it was all positive. I, uh, you know... I, I don't know how, uh, if I'm saying what you... No, no. If I'm answering your question, but no, I don't... No, this is fine. So as you might be able to tell listening to this, I was a little bit nervous. You know, as I said before, this was an interview that I knew I wasn't even supposed to be doing. And I also didn't know how Bruno was going to take it. You know, somebody reaching out to him in this way, an official employee of the company, I didn't know how he'd take it or what he was going to do with that. But as you can tell from this, he was very gracious. He was very welcoming. The conversation went really well. Now, at this point, it transitions a little bit because even though we do get back to talking about Arnold Skoland, now in the next segment I'm going to lead into, he does get to talk a little bit about his feud with WWE or his sort of like grudge, as we all know, with Vince McMahon that was still in full fling at the time. Again, he's very candid about it, and I thought he was very honest, and I know he claimed to not be bitter at all about it, but you can tell that there was some bad blood here. So he talks a bit about that grudge and his issues with the company, and then he eventually gets back to talking about Arnold and talking about their times in New York, reminiscing about the old days of being on top in the New York Territory, he also mentions in here a little bit about Vince's attorney, Jerry McDevitt, that I think you'll find interesting. And he touches briefly on his experience years ago of coming to America. Take a listen. I was wondering if the two of you, I mean, obviously in recent years, unfortunately, with things having been the way they were, were you able to keep in touch at all, or had you spoken? No, to and that's sad. And let me tell you one of the saddest things that 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 hurt me, and uh, I didn't understand. I didn't understand at all. And that is that. Uh, well, you can't even print this, but you're asking me, so I'm going to tell okay, you. Okay, that's and fine. There's a lot of these guys like Arnold. Uh, I couldn't get in touch with him because his wife. And, and it was fine. It was her right. She uh, she uh, seemed to be 
negative towards me because of my feeling towards the, the, the organization. Okay? So maybe she was afraid that it would extend to, to him if he was talking to you, was that it? Yeah, so he, like when it comes to Pittsburgh, I asked a friend of mine that uh, was part of the arena thing, and I say, hey, if, if Arnie comes over, I tell him I have no way of reaching him if he wants to give me a call just to say hi, not business or anything. But he never would. And I know the reason why uh, some of the guys, and I could give you a couple other names, they were always afraid that Vince might find out sure. and they would cre create problems for them. I, I, you know, I was never like that. Uh, with his dad, whom I had a good relationship with, Sr., for example, we had opposition one time and Vince was offended that I had spoken with Ivan Koloff while he was with the Einhorn opposition. Right. And, I, and I said to Vince, I said, well, I talked to, I, to uh, Ivan Koloff and uh, he was telling me, and before I finished what I was telling him, he said, could you talk to him? I said, what do you mean? He said, they're our enemies. I said, no, Vince, he's not my enemy. I said, he's a wrestler. I said, then wrestlers have to be, get employment. Whoever gives it to them, they're independent contractors. Sure. That, that was my feeling, and I always stood by what I believed, and I was always outspoken about what I believed. But some of the other guys, they were afraid of what the consequence might be. And sadly and unfortunately, when I left McMahon Jr. and not in the best of situations, right. uh, these guys kind of stayed away because they were afraid of what might happen if it ever came to light that they were even talking to me. And so Arnold and I have not talked in 20 years. Oh, that's really a shame. Well, it, it is a shame, but it wasn't of my doing. Sure. You know, I Blassie was another guy. Blassie came right out and said to me, because we were friends, yeah. he said to me, Bruno, I hope no hard feelings. He said, but we can't talk on the phone because Vince might find out, and I'm on the payroll, and I would be cut out. And I said to him, well, Fred, I said, you know, if, if that's how you feel, that's fine. And so I never spoke to Fred again, and years went by, and then he finally he died, unfortunately. Sure. But uh, some people, uh, I'm not like that. You see, nobody. I was the type that nobody could tell me who I could uh, talk to or not talk to or correspond with or whatever. Right. I, I stood my grounds on that because I felt that, hey, this is the United States of America. We're not living in the old Soviet Union. That was my no. mentality. But others didn't quite think or feel that way. And so, but I was the type then that when somebody chose that direction, then they would not hear from me again, even if they would later try to change that. It, it would not uh, be acceptable to me. Right. And so... Different relationships got strained that way. Well, but, but make no mistake, I felt very bad when I heard about Arnie. I felt very sad because I thought of all the times there. I remember how thrilled he was when uh, he'd say to me, geez, make sure with Jill and that I get, me, get to meet Sinatra. And I always introduced him to all. And we met, a, I, mean, I cannot tell you how many show this people and you know in the, the, the Italian world you know there was a, in New York it was a pretty you know New York the Italian population is pretty great sure oh yeah but you know that's that's my background as well that's why I was saying that I was a big fan because I grew up uh, you know with my my father and my grandfather and everybody were we're big fans. So. Wait, wait. What did you tell me your last name? Well, okay, I have to explain. <laughs> yeah, because my father, <laughs> my father is Jewish. My mother is is Sicilian. Oh, okay. Well, there's a combination. Yeah, my last name is Solomon, but um, my hey, mother... That's Irish. Yeah, well, Solomon is a Jewish name, actually. Oh, Solomon. I'm making Sullivan. I no. thought you said Sullivan. No, but my, my mother's maiden name was Salika, and they're Sicilian. And yeah, okay. uh, so my grandfather, I think my grandfather may have actually met you once or twice at the garden because he used to train 
uh, Golden Gloves fighters. Oh, no kidding. And I think I think he, I remember him saying that he might have come across you once or twice. So, oh. like I said, you know, it's an honor even to speak with you. And it's unfortunate that things are the way they are. I hope maybe one day that changes. <laughs> honestly, I'd love for us to even do a store a full story on you in the magazine. Whether you believe this or not. And whether anybody believes me or not, because anybody who really knows me, they know that I pull no punches. I tell it the way I feel. This stuff uh, has been said that uh, McMahon's lawyer, McDavid, says to me, you really hate Vince, don't you? And I said to him, I beg your pardon. I says, I don't agree with what he's done to the game that I love. I despise what he's done to the game that I love, and I hate what he's done to the game that I love. But I don't hate him. Hate is a terrible, hate is such a powerful word. Right. You know what, you know how I would interpret hate? Hate is if I hated you, if I told you I hated you, that would mean that if you walked across the street and a truck hit you and killed you, I'd be happy about that. That's hate. Right. If, if you came down with a terminal disease that's going to kill you and I'd find out about it and I'd celebrate over it, man, that's hate. Hey, I hate no one like that. Right. I, I can disagree with people, dislike, decisions, whatever, but hate, I resent that and I've been told that. And another thing I've been t that came out of that office is that I have a that I'm a bitter guy, and I always respond say everybody should be as bitter as I am, <laughs> <laughs> because anybody who knows me, I, 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 this is a, I don't know how long my life will last, but for the past I don't know how many years, nobody's been happier than I have. Well, uh, in my day, we didn't make millions of dollars, but I was on top, and coming from the old country and having had a, a tremendously bad childhood during the war, hiding sure. from the Nazis yes. uh, and all that kind of stuff, coming down with traumatic fever. By the time I came to America in 1950, I met my dad for the first time, who had come here before the war, and so he got stuck here because the uh, all passages, you know, closed. So I was able to get myself, you know, build up and what have you, and start exercise, and I competed in both Olympic lifting, I was wrestling, and, and then, you know, eventually, uh, so so I was very grateful when I, you know, in the 60s, you're making a hundred and a quarter, 150, that was pretty good money. Not bad, not bad at all. It wasn't the millions that the people made later, but I was, uh, from a humble background that I had, I lived okay, I lived a very respectful life, I like the thing, but I always managed to put a few bucks away, put some money away. I'm not a rich man, but believe me, I'm comfortable enough that money is not my god. Uh, I'm not one who's um, who would work out a deal strictly because of money, uh, because my kids are all grown, they're all on their own, right. and it's just my wife and I. And believe me, the income I make from my investments and a personal opinion is more than, than than we need. All I go do is go back to the old country once a year. Sure. And my wife likes cruises, so we go on a cruise once a year. And that's more vacation than I ever wander or need. So as you heard earlier, it was also a thrill for me. First of all, it was a thrill for me to be talking to Bruno San Martino. He was on the bucket list of people that I wanted to interview if I ever got involved in the wrestling business. And he was the one that I had the least hope of ever getting to do that with, obviously, because of the company I was working for. But it happened. And I got to talk to him about my Italian heritage and my family, which was literally like a dream come true for me to talk to him about my grandfather and things like that and my, you know, the confusion over my name and that sort of thing. But also in this segment that I'm going to lead into, 
we talk about the Hall of Fame. Now, of course, at the time, Bruno was very much against going in. He eventually agreed to go in. Obviously, there was money that changed hands. It was more than that. As the story goes, he had to be made to feel that the company had changed, which they had. They'd moved away from the Attitude Era. And he had to be made to feel that they were taking more responsibility for the health and well-being of their performers, moving away from the steroid era and all that kind of thing, which they had done to his satisfaction. So I know, Bruno, in this segment, we'll talk about the hypocrisy of agreeing to go in the Hall of Fame and why he'd never do it, which is interesting in light of what's happened since. But I think that things had changed to the point where it became something that he could see himself doing. So he talks about that here. He also uh, talked to me. I got a chance to talk about how I had championed him in the publications department at the magazine, how I had made efforts to keep his name alive. And I was glad I got a chance to share that with him, that I had worked to include him in WWE's books and magazines as much as possible. So we talk about that. And he even managed to bring up in this segment the A&E documentary from the 90s, which infamously left him out by supposedly by Vince's request. So there's a lot going on in this next clip, and I'll take you to it now. So, you know, when, when they talk about me being a beta guy, this and that, it, it, I have to laugh at it. And, and it's come from some of the people from that office. Yeah. And, and, you know, the reason why I refuse the Hall of Fame is because you probably don't even want to hear all this. No, stuff. I don't mind at all. You know, I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm sort of low on the pecking order, so I'm not involved in all that. I just kind of watch it from the sidelines and kind of yeah. hope that something gets worked out one day. You know? Well, let me tell you this. When the Hall of Fame first started, Vince was going to show me, and my name was never considered in the first year or two, but he got a backlash from it because he right. got swamped a long time ago saying, how the hell could you call it the Hall of Fame and the guy who was champion for 12 years and uh, <laughs> records all over, and he's not even mentioned. So after he saw the backlash of all that, then sometime later they tried to contact me to see if I, not Vince himself, through his lawyer and what have you. And of course at that time I refused because the way I believed was that I was totally against everything that they were doing what they turned wrestling into. And I felt like I'd be a hypocrite if I joined their Hall of Fame because uh, it was all, uh, it was about all stuff that I didn't believe in and disagreed with. And I stand with that today, regardless of what they want to say about me. Uh, I'd feel like a hypocrite if I did join that Hall of Fame. And, the, and my other argument with that Hall of Fame, I think it should be a Hall of Shame and not a Hall of Fame. They have Pete Rose in the, in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Yeah. They have Dudley, a God rest his soul, because Dudley, you don't even know him. He was McMahon Senior's gopher. Right. I, I had met him a couple times before he passed away. Yeah, nice, nice fella. I like Dudley. I got along with him well. But the Hall of Fame? Give me a break. What kind of an Hall of Fame are we talking about here? So that's, you know, these are all the different reasons why I'm not in it, and I will not go in it. And then that's, in the, you know, I don't bother nobody there, and they don't bother me, so let it go at that. But this, I keep hearing about how uh, bitter I am, and I'd like to know who the hell knows my life <laughs> or is around me to make that judgment. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's it's just an unfortunate situation, yeah. and, I, and I, didn't, I didn't think that was true anyway, but... Uh... Well, good. And I do not hate the guy. That's that's not fair uh, on my part because, at, as I explained to you, hate is such a powerful and it's such a uh, anybody who actually hates 
they, they can't be too much at peace with themselves if you have that kind of feel about anything or anyone. You know what I mean? Sure. Because if the, for you to hate like that, if there's such a, a, a person that hates like that, they've got to be miserable in, in, in some way or other. Because, man, that's... Uh, that's how do you how do you how do you say your prayers at night? Pray to your God. I, I you know I'm not the holiest guy in the world, but I'm a churchgoer. I pray. I do that. How could you do that if you had that kind of hate in your heart? <laughs> True. You know, but uh, hey. So you you're right in the magazine. Well, you guys did a story on me not that that long ago. Now, which one would that? Are you thinking of? Well, it was in your magazine. I think so because somebody because I don't get it, but somebody called me upon it and somebody else sent it to me. No, it was a good story. Don't think I'm suggesting that. No, I, I know that a few years back, I remember, yeah, uh, maybe a about years ago. three or four years ago, we did something where each person, each writer got to pick um, who they thought was the greatest, uh, you know, WWF champion of all time and write us a piece on him. And I know mine was yours. So oh. that might be what <laughs> you're talking about, because that's the last time I remember write, us doing anything on you. Well, uh, th th that's great, uh, and thank you. But now there was a story they had on me. It was all it was a, a, a your magazine. I guess it's the same magazine. The, uh, what what's the name of your magazine? Well, now it's it's called WWE magazine. And what was it called before? Uh, well, we used to have a, a Raw magazine and a SmackDown magazine. Maybe it was SmackDown magazine ah, okay. because it was all in color except my story. It was a good story, but they had me all in black and white. Yeah, it it sounds familiar. I'm trying to think of of which one. And it was, it was. a big story they did. And and, and and in all honesty, I was surprised because it was not a negative. Right. Uh, whoever wrote it wrote about you know how many that I had uh, lined the garden two, over two hundred times. And I think many... that might have been me because I think I mean not, I'm not trying to completely put myself over here, but one thing I can say is that I think my influence here has sort of led to your name being mentioned in the magazine more often than in the past. Oh, well, uh, thank you. And I did it. I actually did a book uh, a couple of years ago uh, called WWE Legends, and it was just all about sort of the, the earlier legends of the company, you know, from the 60s and from the 70s. And uh, I made sure that you were included in there as well. Well, you know what? Let, let me say this. And I, I thank you. I, I mean that sincerely. But you know what? If you're going to do the history of wrestling, and because, let's say, the situation is the way it is with Vince and I, and you avoid... Do you remember that special they did on uh, A&E, which is a two-hour special? Yes, I do. See, it's another thing. It cost McMahon, and uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. They did a, a, a long history of it, and my name was never mentioned once, if you remember that. Yeah, I do, actually. I remember, and I, and I remember reading about all that, and it was sort of another ugly situation. Well, what happened was, I, I didn't even really see it at first, but then I heard I was working out. I still, believe it or not, I'm nuts. I still work out. I worked out two hours and a half hours this morning. Wow. I trained two and a half hours with the weights one day, and I do six-mile road work the next day. I train six days a week. But anyway, when I'm working out, I'm hearing the radio say, Could you, did anybody? I see that specialist. They had a documentary on wrestling. Couldn't believe it. They went through the whole thing. I'm waiting for the Sam Martino story, and the guy was never mentioned. This wasn't the guy that I know, a friend of mine, which right. is uh, uh, the, the, the host of the show. And then I heard from some, then I'm getting phone calls from different radios. They say, did you watch that? And I said, no. Anyway, long story. Uh, uh, every, uh, they got a lot of flack on that. So what does A&E do? They contact me. It was a woman. 
I guess they got a lot of flack. They say, what kind of a documentary is that? Here's a guy who dominated wrestling for 20 years, and his yeah, name wasn't sure. even mentioned. So anyway, they contacted me, and they wanted to come to Pittsburgh uh, with a crew. And to, uh, I, I don't know exactly what they all wanted to do, if it was just an interview or a little bit more than that, I don't know. But I said to them, I said, uh, because I, I did it for my own satisfaction, I said, but you just did a two-hour documentary, and my name was never even mentioned. I played it real naive, and I said, well, if, you, if I wasn't worthy for you to mention me on your documentary, why would you want to come here to Pittsburgh with the film crew and this and that to, to do something with me now. And she says, well, she said, you know, she said, there's more to that than, than you know or realize. And, uh, and she, I said, in other words, uh, your hands were tied to where you could not mention me mm. because of outside forces. Yeah, <laughs> and she said, "Well, she said, you know, she said, uh, I, I, I can't uh, go into that, but, mm -hmm. uh, but you're not disagreeing with me." And she admitted, "No, she was not right. disagreeing," with me, which, of course, I knew all along. Yeah. Uh, what was that all about? And then I kind of, uh, in, not in the nicest of way, although I don't cuss them much, and I, I, but I told her that what she could do with her interviews. <laughs> And I hung up on her. Uh, wow. So, you know, so you see, they can talk about me. But Vince has gone out of his way. And that was Vince's demand that my name not even be mentioned in a documentary. It was Vince was going to show me how they weren't going to even include me in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but you see, some of these things kind of backfire a little bit. Right. And then when they tried to make amends, well, you know. <laughs> well, that's how it went, right? Pardon? I said, I said that's the way it went. When they tried to make amends, it was too late. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, and so you know, you, you you when you believe in strongly in something, you have to stick by your guns. You can't be wishy-washy. Of course you about do. things, you know. Yeah. So and, and that, that's you know. that's me. That's who I am, and that's how we'll always be as long as I'm on this planet. Well, you have to be true to who you are. Exactly. You know? that's, that's I always say, when I look in that mirror to shave, I'm not looking at the prettiest face in town, but I'm not embarrassed at what I look at either. Okay, now I'm going to take you to my final segment of this interview, and you'll hear now some of Bruno's closing thoughts on Arnold Skolin, because, of course, again, that was the ostensible reason for this phone call. So he does talk a bit more about Arnie, and he also then transitions into talking as much as he could about the current, or at least at the time in 2007, the current WWE product. And you know, the differences and how he didn't really follow it and some of his issues with it and the differences from his time to the present time and the differences in the audience, which I thought was really fascinating. We talked about he also gives a priceless, priceless anecdote and memory about the night that he lost the title to Ivan Koloff in Madison Square Garden and what that was like from his first person perspective. And I'd also had an opportunity to interview Dick Kroll, the referee, about that same very night. So two of the three men in the ring that night I got to talk to about that most historic occasion, January 18th, 1971. Now, I also want to mention here one of my great regrets. Now, this interview in total goes about a half hour, and I could have talked to him for hours. The reason was, as I said, I was kind of stuck. I was home alone. My wife was working far away. I had my three-year-old son watching TV in the other room, 
and my uh, six-year-old daughter who was about to get off the school bus. And so I was really sweating it out. And I can't believe I had to do this. I kick myself to this day, but I had to kind of cut him short at the end. And I wish I didn't have to do that, but family comes first, kids come first. I was in a bind and I did not want to have to try to reschedule it because I was afraid he might have second thoughts and decide not to do the interview. So I had to kind of stop it. We could have definitely kept going and I regret it. I never got a chance to interview him again, although we did meet one more time, which I will talk about once we get to the other side of this final clip. Well, I don't want to take up all your day. Well, I hope I answer. I, I, you know, it's tough, tough to answer. See, I, I thought maybe you wanted me to say to you, oh, yeah, Arnold's my manager. He made all my matches. No, no, no. Just, it doesn't know, have to be. None, none of that stuff. No, yeah. I, I'm, I was looking for something a little more real, and that's what you gave me. It doesn't have to be, you know, kind of in, you know, in the in kayfabe tradition or anything. You know, I'm, I'm fine with them. I, I, I wanted, you know, sort of your real response, and that's what I got. So thank you. Well, okay, if, if, if it's good enough for you, then you I'm very glad. Much. Although it's kind of funny because I remember interviewing him once for that book I was telling you about. Yeah. And it was very hard for him to kind of step out of that. You know, I was looking for real answers about his life and who he was, uh-huh. and he kept kind of falling into the the pattern of, well, yes, I would scout his opponents and make his <laughs> matches. And, I, and you know, he's, he's an older guy, and, and I would have to be kind of very gentle with him and say, you know, Mr. Skull and I, I, you know, I'm not trying to talk down to you, but, you know, I've worked here for six years, and I'm just trying, you know, I'm looking for something a little more kind of genuine and, you know, without calling him out as a liar or anything like that, you know. And it was just kind of amusing that he yeah. was kind of sticking to that, you know. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. Fun. Well, you know, well, that's how he, uh, how else would he suggest, right. tell anybody how he was a manager then? What was his role? You know, <laughs> he had to give a, a, exactly. a role, right? Exactly. By the way, do you know, and I will let you go, uh, do you know, because uh, I've been asked, and I never knew, because Arnie was kind of funny about age. Do you know how old he really was? I've had so many people ask me, I don't know. Well, uh, according to what we have here, he was 82, but I okay. mean... I do know that Blassie um, gave a fake age because I remember when he died, we all discovered that he was two years older than he told everyone he was. Yeah, because in this business, and, and, and not just Arnia, uh, a lot, a lot. I don't know about today. I don't know any of these new guys, mm-hmm. but a lot of guys all lied about their age. Well, we had his his year as uh, his birth year as 25, 1925. That's Arnold, you mean? Yes, Arnold. So uh, if that's accurate, then he would be—he was 82 because he was born in January of 25. Oh, then he would—he would have been 82 this yeah. past January. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been asking some people say, "Why don't you?" I—I I honestly, because I knew Arnie was funny about his age, and I think that that does kind of add up because I know that he fought in the war, and that would have made sense. He would have been sort of 1920 years old, and then yeah. you know he would—he—he uh, he started wrestling in his early 20s, so that would sort of follow if he was born in 25. Makes sense. Yeah, I think it, that might be accurate. I would say that's pretty accurate. I would guess, anyway, you know. Yeah. I know when I started, and I was like 23 years old, I think Arnie at the time was around 34 or something okay. like that. Well, that or, makes sense. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's probably... Is that, and, and Freddie, you're saying he was two years old. Didn't they say he was 85 or something? Yeah, we, uh, because it was, it was funny how we found out about it. Uh, we, we had to go to... 
uh, Miyako's home uh, to look through some of his memorabilia because she was interested in kind of auctioning it off. And, and so they asked me to come down. Oh. And we found his wrestling license. Oh. And the age that he gave on there was not true. It, it, it was. Uh, it made. It, I think it made him three years younger because he, at the time, he might have been in his early fifties, and he didn't want it to people yeah. to know that he was over fifty. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, I think it was eighty-five was his age when he passed away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, th that's the way it was in the business because it, if some promoters find out you were in your forties, uh, mid, there's some of them, you know. I think it still is to a certain degree. You know, yeah. people that want to kind of seem younger well, than they are. You know. Yeah. Well, but in those days, you got to realize too that there were maybe thirty different promotions throughout the United States and Canada. Sure. So a guy who was on top, established as a top guy in one territory, he wanted to continue on as a top guy whatever territory you went to and if and if the age start popping up about oh there's some promotion well he's getting a little up there to to be the headliner you know stuff like that so that tended guys naturally to protect themselves and their careers to to uh lie of whether it be two three four five years in some cases you know right i can honestly tell you i never 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 lied about my age in fact the senior one time said to me even senior he was saying it for my own good. He said, uh, you know, Bruno, he says, don't be so free and give out your age. Because <laughs> when people would say to me, how old are you? I'd say, well, you figure out. I said, I was born October 6, 1935. And, and they says, don't, don't, don't tell them that. You know, don't tell them that. Well, you were, um, so you would have been 27 when you first were the champion. Champion, yeah. And I think, actually, that still, that still makes you one of the youngest champions that... Um, that we've ever had. There have only been a few guys that, that to this day that, that were younger than that, I mean, for, for Vince's company, anyhow. You, you, you want to know something, to be perfectly honest with you? If somebody asked me, I'll tell you how the business has changed. I could tell you who were the champions, uh, you know, uh, to a certain time. Mm -hmm. But after Junior took over, and there were so many guys, and that title start changing yeah. every two weeks, yeah. uh, I never knew who the champion was. In fact, right now, I don't follow wrestling anymore. I don't watch it. Right. I don't know who the champions are. And I see in my day, it, everybody knew you were the champion. True. If people didn't watch wrestling, then you, I'll use my name. Let's say Bruno San Martino. Oh, yeah, he's the wrestling champion. Today, I don't know who the champion is. Okay, I admit, I don't watch it. But a lot of other people don't know either. That's true. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I think, yeah, it, it, the same thing has happened with boxing, too. And I think when you ask people sometimes, like I can talk to my, like I was saying, you know, my, my grandmother or my, my aunts and everyone in my family who never even watched wrestling and they would know your name. Or they would know, you know, they would know who Antonino Rocca was or something right, like yeah, that. Right, <laughs> yeah. But now they don't, you know, they don't no. know these guys. For one thing, for one thing, listen, whether anybody wants to admit it to or not, the audience has changed. I remember when I was uh, wrestling, whether it be Madison Square Garden or the Boston Garden, uh, I kid you not, uh, as far as my eyes would take me, I would see some of the same faces. They were so loyal. And people would be even dressed up, and they were older people. You know, there was a time when I was wrestling in a garden where you couldn't go there if you were 14 years or under. Right, there was the, uh, there was the age restriction. So our audience was adult audience. Yeah. 
You know, uh, 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 and those people were loyal. They believed that they were, oh, man, they support. I used to get goosebumps after all those years because every time I, I show my face in the garden, it starts, the whole building starts chanting, Bruno, Bruno. Yeah, I mean, I when I, I did one of those articles on you, and I, I don't know if it's the one you're talking about, but one of the things I mentioned in there, and it's just from talking to people because I'm a little young, unfortunately, to remember, is just I think the difference is that people just believed in it, and they believed in you so much it was like like they would for any other kind of sports hero, like Joe DiMaggio or somebody yeah. like that. I mean, there was a feeling like there was a real emotional investment. It was more than you were just entertaining them. You well, know what the, I mean? They the really proof, believed in what you were doing. The proof was when I lost the title to Ivan Koloff yeah. after eight years. Uh, I, uh, he came down pretty hard on me from the top rope, and I thought maybe something happened because I felt the bold, you know, because yeah. he was 300 pounds, and I thought something happened to my ears because I'm expecting a lot of booze from right. this guy beating me and I couldn't hear a thing it was so quiet and then Arnie came over to me like to help me and he said to me are you okay and I heard him perfectly clear <laughs> and I thought what the hell's going on yeah. well I, I tell you this touched me very deeply as he like helped me on my feet and I finally made my way out of the garden there were people I kid you not whether you've ever heard this or not it's a God's truth there were people literally crying saying to me Bruno we still love you you'll always be the best and blah 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 yeah. it depressed me when I went to the dressing room I really felt bad I felt like my God those people really hurt and I'm well, responsible. I felt so guilty, but I never in a million years expected that kind of a reaction. Well, I talked to, um, I, I once interviewed Dick Kroll for a story, and uh, that was one of the subjects that came up, because I guess he was the referee for that, yeah, yeah. and he mentioned how the same thing of the silence and how unbelievable it was, and you know, he he was just, a, he didn't know what was going to happen next, you know, everybody was just kind of looking and, and, and not making a sound. No one well, you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah. And that was so like no one uh, uh, could have possibly imagined that it was going to get that kind of right. But then what I'm telling you is that what I'm saying is that's how, p that how people were into this. Yeah. Very different. That's the thing. Uh, I think now people are looking more just kind of to be entertained. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're not investing themselves in it the same way. They're, just, they're watching it as if they're watching a television show. Not only that, but look what's happened. Look at you guys. I don't care what money as far as making the money where you make zillions of dollars a year but look what's happened the arena I always believed the wrestling like boxing belonged to the arena look at that we used to in the 60s I used to wrestle in Madison Square Garden 15 shows a year later we moved to 12 shows a year same thing with Boston Pittsburgh look what's happened now how often do you guys go come here to Pittsburgh or Madison Square Garden I think it's maybe once or twice a well, year well that's now. what I'm saying it's, it's completely become uh, not an arena uh, event yeah. anymore. It, and that's, become that, to more me, like that's a, a shame. It's become more like a television show. Yeah, well, you know, exactly. I, I agree with you on a lot of these things. And you know what? I can talk all day on these subjects for sure. But uh, I, I do have to go, unfortunately. Well, you go ahead. At any time, if you don't worry about getting in trouble with McMahon, any time you have any question, anything uh, that I can help you, feel free to call me. Oh, thank you. I'm honored. Thank you very much for Okay. That. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. There you have it, folks, my archival 2007 interview with the living legend Bruno Sammartino. And I want to reiterate again, that was one of the proudest accomplishments that I have ever had, either in my career at WWE or anywhere else, to be able to pull that off. It was one of the last things I did working for the company. I 
kind of saw the writing on the wall. I knew my time was coming to an end, and I was glad that I got a chance to get that done before my time came. So that was really, truly a thrill. And I want to say, I mentioned earlier that we did meet again, and this was incredible to me because a couple of months after I left WWE, about two or three months later, I had the opportunity to go to a wrestling convention where a lot of my friends from the business were going to be, and I was asked to go and kind of show my face. And I went, and I, it was the first time I ever met Bill Apter, which was very cool. And I also saw Bruno there. I knew he was going to be there. He was at a table signing autographs, and the greatest thing happened, which is that I went over to him. And again, this was about two or three months after we had spoken. And I mentioned to him that I was the WWE writer who had interviewed him. And he immediately remembered my name and said, oh, Brian, it's great to see you again. And he remembered me. He remembered my name. He remembered the interview. And I also recall that he was very happy for me and proud of me for no longer being with the company. I remember he said that it was the best thing for me, that I was a good kid, and it was great that I had gotten away from those people. So he was happy for me. It was a great moment. I was thrilled that he remembered my name even. It was such an honor, just as the whole idea of getting to do that interview was an honor. So I hope that you enjoyed that dip into the Solomon archives once again for one of these interviews. I have to say it's incredible to me. The interview that you just heard was sitting on a CD that I had in a drawer in my desk, just collecting dust, not even on a hard drive, not on my MacBook, just on a random disc containing a bunch of interviews like this, digital interviews that I had done during my time at WWE. And I'd never really done anything with it before. I used some of the quotes in there. Some of the things about Arnold Skoland obviously went into the obituary, but the rest of it was really just for me, and it never saw the light of day. Those comments were never printed anywhere. The audio you heard has never been shared publicly anywhere until now. So I'm glad that the CD held out. I did preserve the interview. It is now on my hard drive. It is now in the cloud. It is preserved. So I was glad to have a chance to share this very, very rare piece of audio with you on Shut Up and Wrestle. As we roll along, keep listening to the show. We've got more great stuff on the way. If you love the deep dive historical content, you're going to love next week's episode. Because for next week, episode 106, I have with me the author, John Langmead, who has written this phenomenal book, Ballyhoo, The Roughhousers, Con Artists, and Wild Men Who Invented Professional Wrestling. It's a look at the early 20th century history of pro wrestling, as well as the life and career of promoter Jack Curley. And I think you're going to love it. Also coming up in future episodes, I have Pro Wrestling Illustrated writer and my colleague Kristen Ashley on the way, as well as noted writer and historian Steve Johnson and many other things in the works. Keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. You can find us at our website, suawpod.com. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. There's Spotify, there's Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict. I do understand that Google Podcast is going to be going away, but I believe they're going to be available through YouTube in some form. I'll have more info on that. But while you're at it, join our Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. And if you're inclined to 
provide a meager financial contribution to the show, feel free to reach out on Twitter at Brian R. Solomon. You'll see the contribution button at the top there where you can contribute via Venmo or Cash App. If you'd like to contribute via PayPal, you can find me on there at Brian R. Solomon. Additionally, some of my other projects, there is the Wrestling News from Arcadian Vanguard. Every morning, find it at thewrestlingnews.com or on the YouTube page of Arcadian Vanguard. The books I've written, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, as well as Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. They are available wherever books are sold. I also have signed copies. If you'd like, you can reach out to me at Solomon at yahoo.com. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, get it at pwi-online.com, as well as Inside the Ropes magazine, which you can get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. On Facebook, my author page is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media networks, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, Viva Bruno San Martino, Campione del Mondo per sempre. So long, wrestling fans. Come on.